Welcome back to the recap show. Um, 2024. It is officially past the time that I can tell you Happy New Year. That ended promptly on January 7th. Well, you didn't tell me that. I've been still saying it. Yeah, you have to have a date and it's January 7th. I thought it was the first time you see people. Until January 7th. (laughs) Wow. You heard it here first. So thank you for joining us. The world of sports progress and equity is heating up, and so is the recap show. We're so glad to be back in action, um, kicking off this new year with a lot of love and joy and all things sports. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about the college draft um, and our experiences with the draft, our thoughts on the draft, and then generally the role of college when it comes to player development um, and the college system, which I think is going to be really interesting. Um, and let's jump straight in to the daily discussion. What day is the 2024 college draft? Friday, the 12th. <laughs> the 12th, thank you, yes. Um, were you in the draft? I was in the WPS draft, which was the league before the NWSL. The league. <laughs> Wow, I didn't know the WS was the little league before. Um, great. And what number were you drafted? Number one. And what number was I drafted? Um, number four, but number one in people's hearts. And um, different years, just to be clear, everybody. Um, <laughs> what did it mean to you to be the number one draft pick? Oh, it was super special. Um, at that time, that was pretty much that was was the only pathway to like professional soccer. True. Um, the WPS was like a big thing. That was the first year of the WPS, I think. No. Yeah, I think it was. No, that doesn't because make it only sense. survived the what? It like, was the two second years? year, three years, three years, and I played in the third year. Yeah, we always talk about the WPS because like similar to Wusa, like it crushed like in some ways but i think in ways that it, it crashed and burned it crushed and then it crashed <laughs> um <laughs> but i think in ways like when i think of draft day it was really special like, what was it like like i remember stage i remember all of like the draft class being there I remember my family being there and it was around i think like a soccer convention so there was a lot of like energy Um, And it just seemed like it was something that mattered, a moment that mattered. And what do you think it means to a player's career at large to go number one in the college draft? I think it's big. Um, Yeah, I think in professional sports, I think it's kind of like a sign of what to expect, like as a professional, like you obviously know that you're going to be like a franchise player for for a team, um, depending with where that team is you might be built around you might be coming into um a different situation but i think that it was just a signal like like that this was like a player that was going to be around that was going to be on the national team like Mm -hmm. it was a big signal well as someone that didn't go number one i actually don't remember it being a big night i wonder if they only invited one through three Because I'm pretty sure I found out on the no, phone. No, I remember my my experience was like this big, like blown out. Like I remember we like did a fashion show of jerseys where we walked down like a fashion thing wearing like our our jerseys. I didn't even get a scarf. Yeah, see, this was when we probably should have known that the WPS was in going trouble. downhill. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, what was it like for you? What was your draft day like? Did you know where you were going to be going? 
Um, yes. I, well, yes and no. Mm. I thought correctly that I was going to be drafted by the Washington Spirit, and I was. But just days after I was drafted by the Washington Spirit, they were purchased by Magic Jack (laughs) and moved from Washington, D.C., where my now 90-year-old grandma lives, and I was maybe going to move in with her and was very happy about it, to West Palm, Florida. West Palm Beach? West Palm... I didn't live on the beach. (laughs) (laughs) West Palm not living on the beach, Florida. (laughs) Which I'm going to reserve other opinions on. um, (laughs) For another episode. (laughs) For another episode. But I'll just say that I ultimately went to the team that ended up being responsible for the demise of the league and... It pretty much summed up what our individual player experiences were like. And I would say that the transition from Stanford University to Magic Jack in my first professional year um, was very telling of the future and reset my expectations in a big way. And it was not long after that I would tell young players coming up that college would likely be the most professional environment they would ever be in. Yeah, it's so fascinating, like now kind of being on the backside of the career, looking at that moment, you think that moment is a step up in like professionalism, oh, yeah. in resources, in just kind of like money around you and opportunity around you. And um, in both our cases, we reference college as being the most professional environments that we've ever been still to this day still to this day that, and that. I mean it says a lot to like both of our universities but also like to just the difference in yeah I don't think that there's any male athletes probably saying that even though there's a ton of money in male college sports yeah that's actually interesting too um but yeah there's a drop-off and that's including international play which I think is a little bit handicapped by the fact that you're always on the road so it can't ever be super nice like you don't get to build infrastructure but two domestic leagues and several leagues abroad and and college still um takes the cake so let's step back Mm. tell us about your college soccer experience and how you think it shaped you to be the player that you are Mm, Yeah, it's so interesting because you see these young players now kind of forgoing college and I would have totally been the player that fit the bill for that, right? Like I went to college to play soccer. Really fast interjection. Yeah. Um, I feel like I heard a rumor um, when you were in high school that you skipped high school to go to college. (laughs) (laughs) I skipped high school to go to college. Something like that. But anyways, That's continue. just because I was advanced. <laughs> yeah. In the brain. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that was it. Um, no, I think that kind of summed it up. I mean, I, yeah, I definitely like went to UNC for soccer. And you left UNC? For soccer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, how did it change you? How did it affect oh. you? What did you learn? Like, Well, first off, I will say that those were the best four years of my life, hands down. I went there for soccer, but it's so I upsetting. End up... It's so upsetting. It you keep saying it anyways. Yeah, I will say it because it's the truth. And and all of my friends and teammates and coaches can probably attest to it. But it's because of the impact it made on my life. Um I really think that it expanded my like idea of the world. I met my best friends ever, people that like I didn't even know existed out there. 
Um, and the most important thing is college is like a condensed growing up. It's like this like vacuum. And what happens is you you come in your first year and you're like the the freshman, you know, and whether you're really good or you're not, you're still a freshman and there's still so much learning between you and like a senior. Mm-hmm. And you have to go in and you have to prove yourself. And there there's a big that's a big age gap in like in soccer development. Like a few years at that time is a big age gap. And then you're having to be an adult for the first time, do things on your own. You're also having to go to school. It's like juggling so many different responsibilities. Um, it teaches you a whole level of discipline. It teaches you social skills that are, I think are really important. Um, and most importantly, there's a development that happens where you go from w- listening to how, like respecting your the older players and watching how they work as leaders and the responsibility that they take for kind of the winning of the team. And you watch that. And by the time you're a senior, you're then responsible for that. And for me, that's something that you can't buy anywhere else, that type of experience and that type of kind of segmented responsibility. It's a very condensed, um, like Mm -hmm. intense learning experience. But for me, it gave me so many skills. And I also obviously worked with Anson Dorrance, who um, I can't even speak highly enough on the impact he had on my life. Well, it's no wonder that you have such excellent social skills and maturity with all that you've been through. (laughs) Was that a joke? (laughs) No, I'm just teasing. Um, But what I think what you're saying is actually really important. It's almost like you're saying like a vacuum, it's condensed. It's almost like a microcosm. Like Uh you get to go through the stages of life, like the stages of a full career in four years. And like, you know, by the time that you're a veteran player in a professional league, you're on your way out, right? So you don't get to then use the experiences that you learn as a veteran player, like for your next, you know, professional career. But you actually get that little bit of experience, like your senior year, you're a vet. They literally call you a vet and you're like 22 years old. And so it's like, then when you live out your career, which, you know, if it's four years and then it's like 15 years or whatever, it's like four times the length, you've actually had a little bit of experience doing all the things. You've already been a rookie. You've already been a senior. You've already, um, you've already seen it. I think also what's, what's interesting is I, had a unique experience because like yes I was you know a college player and yes I was a student athlete but like I actually was also on the national team when I was in college so like that was another like layer of responsibility that I had to also juggle on top of of just being like a normal student athlete yeah and like one other thing is like it's it's both a microcosm and a stepping stone and the stepping stone is you had someone there to help you like you had for your schoolwork, you had like a, an advisor and you had your coach to like yeah. tell you what it was like to play for the national team because he had coached players that had played for the national yeah. team and give you advice. And so <clears throat> those are lessons that I think now we're seeing more and more people forgoing college. Um, and I think that the first couple times that this happened, um, it was like really hard, I think, for the generation of player that went to college. We were like, what is happening? Yeah. Like, first of all, like our league's not stable enough. We don't make enough money. Like, this is crazy. But also just hard to imagine that our pipeline was changing in such a way that um, those those lessons or opportunities weren't 
um, what what we're going to be prioritized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, over time now, I think we've seen this happening for a long time. Um, we, we've started to learn that there's a lot of pros of going pro. Um, yeah. And skipping college, but there there is a, a cost. There's always a cost. Yeah, I think before it was more like when the in the early days when people were first making this decision, and I think Lindsay Horan was one of the first players that made this. Like there was kind of like a a cost like a uh, risk there. the The salaries weren't weren't close to what they are today. I won't say they're like significantly different, but when you take like a salary plus, you know, the initial like shoe endorsement that you're going to get, like, you know, nowadays you have like a little bit of a foundation where you can be like, okay, that's, that's an okay amount of money, you know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. um, And you can get a multi-year endorsement deal. Yeah. And that's like, you know, a little bit of a foundation, but there's, in my opinion, there are still many benefits to college. Um, one, I think like the growing up and the professionalism that you said is is really important. Like I've I've seen the different types of development and I think everybody wants to get places quicker, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about longevity in general, whenever you start, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of like when you finish. And I think there's this kind of like weird thing that's happening where you're not seeing a lot of college players on the national team. Like back in the day, there were like always like one or two college players on the Nash team. And now there's just kind of young pros on the Nash team. Mm-hmm. So you see like an Alyssa Thompson, a Jaden Shaw, um, these types of players, or even the players that left early, like a Trini Rodman or Sophia Smith. Like, but you're not so you're seeing a different form in the pipeline mm-hmm. happening where there's almost this <laughs> idea that if you go pro, if you're able to go pro young, like 15 years old, um, something like that that that's going to accelerate you to the national team. And I think that pipeline's going to start getting very jammed with a bunch of teenagers in our league that aren't ready to be on the national team. And in my opinion, there's a lot of development that still is left on the table when it comes to to college soccer. Well, one thing that I think that's really interesting, but one thing that I always think about when I think about um the pros and cons of skipping college and going straight into pro is actually coaching and this isn't it's not like a personal or like look at these coaches versus that coaches Mm -hmm. college coaching is a great job you often get housing you get tenured you're basically a college professor so it's like a very stable job like you know if you become stanford university's coach like you have stability for your family and i think that our league um, and a lot of professional leagues just in general don't have that type of stability and yeah. they don't have the type of money that other leagues might be offering. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of the most prestigious and respected coaches in women's soccer are at the college level. Yeah, and I feel like it's very much like it feels like a family. It doesn't feel like a business. It feels like a family. Like they chose you. Mm-hmm. They went out and chose you. Like with all the like millions of girls that were playing soccer, you know, they were like, we want you to come here, you know, and. Like, that was, like, really special, whereas, you know, you look at the draft system, and it would be one thing if this was more like, you know, kind of uh, a men's draft system where there's a price tag on on the amount of money that you're going to be as a draft pick. You know, if you knew, well, I'm going to be top three in the draft, which means, say it was, like, a million dollars for the number one draft pick and, like, worked, like, down in increments there. down for that. Say there was a big check on it. Then you'd be like, oh, my gosh, like this is like 
this is an important time for me to go out because I can really like do something here. But right now you're talking about like a draft that's very confusing. One, how is Alyssa Thompson in a draft if she's never ever played college well, soccer? Well, also I was thinking about that in prep for this. Yeah. Alyssa was in the draft coming straight from high school and her sister was not in the draft and also came straight from high school. Yeah, that's one question. And this is where like, you know, the league is just... I mean, this isn't a fact show, people, so just, like, kind of jump on this ride because, like, (laughs) we're all trying to figure it out. And two, my question is, so if you go number one or if you go number 10, like, technically, number 10 could make more money than number one. Yeah. Because there's no paycheck involved in your draft pick. So it's just, like, a slap on the shoulder and saying, like, great job. It's like an accolade. It's not actually like professional because in order for it to be professional, that number one draft pick would have to equate to an amount of money. You're not negotiating. Like you get the number, you get your draft pick and then you have to go and negotiate your salary. Yes. Which brings up a really important point. But you don't get to choose the team. So some people are for boring college altogether. Some people are leaving college early and they enter the draft even as a sophomore or junior. And then some people are four years, they've graduated, they're entering the draft. Um, And for the the younger the player that is generally like maybe foregoing all or some of college, usually the more hype around them, right? Like what comes first? Are they trying to get on the national team by foregoing college or are they um, on the national team and therefore foregoing college? Mm -hmm. Like... But the interesting thing that happens is that all of the um, negotiating is actually just puppet strings that are all happening before. And so if you look at a player like, you know, if you look at the last four first round draft picks that were not graduating from college, they had basically... The league had required teams to, like, make trades for those spots so that those players could be in viable teams. And so when you're saying you, like, negotiate, like, I bet their contracts, like, already negotiated. Like, it was, like, I think a good example. I mean, a great example is Alyssa. Like, would she have not gone to college if she had to, like, go live in, you know, Houston? Like, I don't know. I mean, that to me, though, is just then free agency. Like, if that's what it's like before the draft, it's just free agency. Yeah, and I would say... It's like looking at available players and enticing them to come to your team but it's like a league-wide initiative like you've got to get all you have to trade for the right pick so that the young player can be protected and like you know like Alyssa is still able to live at home and like she needs that like it's not a judgment at all it's just like all the things that are conspired beforehand to make sure that um and I would say like U.S. soccer starred players are put into a position that U.S. soccer thinks is favorable. Tobin, hypothetically, you currently have a daughter and she is in high school and she is just as good as you were when you were in high school. And she dreams of playing on the national team. She dreams of winning World Cups. You have to advise her. And she comes and she says... Mother, (laughs) what should I do? Should I go to college or should I go pro? What do you tell her? Yeah, I actually, I I think about this question because, well, one, I don't really think of it as my daughter, but um, (laughs) I sometimes try to put myself in the shoes of these younger players making these decisions. Um, And 
I guess both are the same and both would come to the same conclusion. I would tell my daughter <laughs> to um, either, if she w- wants to be a professional, if she's like, wants that now, um, she would go overseas, no questions asked. Um, I would be very picky. Are you also going overseas? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm not going to send her to the wolves. And then the the second one would be go to college for two years and then make a decision if you want to stay in college or you want to go pro. Interesting. And if it was the college route, would you want her to go to UNC or Stanford? UNC. (laughs) She has to say that. (laughs) I mean, honestly, yeah, UNC. Even now that you're an entrepreneur and you can see what a Stanford degree does to help you in business. You know what? Any kid that's associated with either of those schools would be really lucky. Oh my gosh, it's so great that you said that. Everyone, when we like when we started talking about this, what she said is, I've personally won more national championships than the entire Stanford women's soccer program in history. That was my, so- my behind the scenes. <laughs> response and i think it's a good one yeah it was really good i was trying to get you to say it and then you went the humble route that was a curveball as a professional soccer player and of course co-host of the recap show i'm always on the go always preparing for something probably always a little dehydrated so it's crucial that i find something i like to give me hydration and electrolytes and that's when i discovered element which is a great way to fuel me in all my endeavors. Um, I love the way it tastes and I love the way it makes me feel. Element is an electrolyte drink mix and you don't need to be a pro athlete or host of the recap show to enjoy it. You can mix it with a cocktail, you can mix it to cure a hangover, or you can mix it while you're watching the recap show. Basically, whenever you need an electrolyte boost with no sugar, color, filler, or artificial ingredients, you need Element. And now Element is offering a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serve packets free with any Element order. This is an amazing deal. And it's a great way to try all eight flavors or share it with a friend. So you can get yours today at drinkelement.com recap. And remember, this deal is only available through my link. So go to drinklmnt.com slash recap. And the best part is Element offers a no question asked refund. So try it totally risk free. I promise you'll enjoy it. And if you don't, there's no questions asked. Also, if you don't like it, share it with a friend because you have nothing to lose and only electrolytes to gain. Big thanks to Element. Now back to the show. Okay, let's get a little more specific. Obviously, um, as we just mentioned, uh, you won a lot of national championships at UNC during your college days, and UNC has a history of winning. And what do you think that did to shape you as a player and a person? Yeah, I think being in winning environments is what makes you a winner. Like, you pick up behaviors and attitudes and you have these expectations that you have to deal with and the pressures of living up to legacy. Um, For some reason, since I was young, I was always on winning teams. And I think you're exactly the same way with this where, you know, we won national championships as, as my club team. And, you know, I was always part of like really competitive environments that 
like kind of the expectation on each team was to win, which is really unique in the landscape of of women's soccer. Um, and and with UNC, I actually think it's an environment that mimics the national team a it lot. Is. Um, obviously with Anson having mm-hmm. been a national team coach and having set up a large part of what the culture is of the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, what I will say is the environment forces you to take winning seriously. It forces you to know that for you to live up to, you know, the name of the school, you you play on a field that has all the national championships, like all the years on that field. And every day you look at that and you say, like, what's my legacy going to be here? And you show up every day with expectation that you're working to put your year on that board. And I think that's that same mentality and the same type of work ethic and the determination and pressure and sacrifice is exactly the same on the national team. You go there and you look at all of the history of what the national team is and you say, how am I going to put my year there? And for you to be a part of a team that doesn't put their year into winning something significantly is a failure. And and that will be forever. And and for me, that's – and those types of – and so, like, that's kind of, like, a big thing, right? Like, it seems like so much pressure. But, like, when you break it down to the everyday little act, little behaviors and activities and decisions that go into being a winner, that type of – those types of muscles, that type of character, those types – that type of language, those type of people that you're around saying those types of things, like, that is what's being built. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is then so transferable into any environment that you go into. You go into it with this kind of these ingredients of winning. And I, th- I think it's powerful. Love it. Yeah. Go Tar Heels. <laughs> go Heels. <laughs> well, I think that wraps up today's daily discussion. How do you feel? Are you sad it's over? You want to keep talking about the, honestly Carolina? this is one of my favorite topics to talk about and you know the landscape of women's soccer is changing drastically i think it's awesome to be able to have these conversations of like well should you leave should you stay like is college good is it bad in player development like i don't think there's one answer for for anyone um or or any kind of situation but i think it's cool to be able to have different pathways now to become a professional. Look, I think the rules and all this stuff needs to like become more professional along with it. But overall, I think like women's soccer is evolving and that means that that it's growing and it's changing. So adapt or die. Adapt or die. It will be interesting if we have this discussion in a few years how how we feel about it. Oh, whoa. But I will say like for both of us we could say college soccer was instrumental. Instrumental in our player development. And in our personal development. Mm -hmm. But we don't know what it would have been like had we not gone. No, we don't. There was four years we could have been learning and growing somewhere else. But if I could um, do go back to any part of my life, it would be those. So sad. (laughs) (laughs) And you want to know why, folks? She loves communal (laughs) life. 
takes us nicely to everybody's favorite segment, Community Questions. All right, Tobin, I will go first. Kiva asks, there is a current trend of cutting holes in the back of your socks. Are you into it or not? Yay or nay? Soccer socks, I presume. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it bothers me. Like, I get it. I get it. I get the big calf thing. I get the (laughs) sock thing. Like, socks... These I don't know who they're building soccer socks for, but they're not people with calves because they don't stretch. And if you know how muscles work is they like kind of flex and they kind of get bigger and um, socks don't really give have that give. And honestly, my problem with socks is is that Um, also. But like the aesthetic of the cut socks, I don't get so. Maybe a solution to to other people, which was my solution, was just don't put them over your calves. <laughs> but I get it. You want to, like, have real shin guards, real socks, and then you cut holes. But the aesthetic is no bueno. Free the calves. Free the calves. Hashtag free the calves. Tobin asks, did you have any purchases on your trip to Mexico City? Rude. <laughs> What? <laughs> Me? <laughs> no. A poncho? No, I would never. You wouldn't? No. Oh. <laughs> it seems like you're becoming quite the Taurus. Wait a second. What about you? Well, this is standard. Everybody knows that when I go somewhere, I like to look the part. Yeah, but at least you didn't get that from the airport shop. I did not. What were your impressions of Mexico City? What? This is random. Oh, that was part uh, two. <coughs> Tobin also asks. Tobin also asks, yeah. what, um, what a beautiful, vibrant city. And I would go back in a second. You know, there's trips where you are, like, satisfied and you got the timing right. And then there's some trips that drag on and you're like, wow, I really want to get home. This was a trip where I was, like, maybe debating trying to stay a couple more nights it's so beautiful oh the colors just like your poncho (laughs) thank you very much um for listening to us for putting up with us and for supporting us and the whole re-ink world um it's exciting. It's a, it's a new year and there's so much to look forward to. This year is going to be the year of resilience at Reink. So we're going to be exploring um, how we all can be our best version of ourselves and resilient change makers. Um, we know that the world is not all rainbows and butterflies out there and we need to cultivate our inner resilience um, so that we can all be a part of how we make this world beautiful um, and safe and equitable yeah and if you haven't read Kristen's uh, reflection piece in membership i highly recommend it it had me in tears well thank you yep um and we will be coming out with another episode soon so stay tuned and thanks again for your support adios The Recap Show is a re-ink original series produced in partnership with HeadGum Studios. If you believe in what we're building and love this show, the most important thing you can do is follow or subscribe. 
hit the plus sign on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review and share the show with a friend. We are so grateful. The Recap Show is executive produced by Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Shane Romani, and Jamie Friedman. For HeadGum Studios, The Recap Show is brought to life by supervising producer Katie Moose, showrunner Billy Scafuri, creative producer Tara Aquino, associate producer Ali Khan, director of photography Nate Cornett, video engineer and editor Rochelle Chen, production sound mixer Rich Gavin, assistant editor Neil Davis, motion graphics Eddie Ramos, production designer Elaine Carey, production assistants Lauren Stremmel, Jasmine Wasserman, and Olivia Reiner, hair Ramon Garcia, stylist Sarah Borgesi, makeup Stephen Molesky. The first season of The Recap Show wouldn't be possible without the support of our incredible sponsors, including UFOS, Ally, Support of the Re and Superbird. Thank you.